Welcome to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. The world is changing faster than ever, and the world of education is too. Advances in psychology, biology, and a whole range of other fields have opened up new lines of thought about the purpose of school and how it can best serve a new generation of students. Join me on the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast every week to explore these new ideas. In last week's episode, I was joined by a number of wonderful Braemar students from Russia and Ukraine who shared their experiences, their emotions, and their hopes for the future in response to this past year of conflict. This week, I'll be speaking with the Executive Director of Toronto's Fort York Food Bank, Mrs. Julie Lejeune. Welcome back to another episode of the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here at the Braemar College campus in downtown Toronto. I'm very happy to be joined today by Ms. Julie Lejeune. Uh, Julie is the executive director at Toronto's Fort York Food Bank, which is a multi-service agency dedicated to connecting individuals with their broader community. She's an experienced senior leader in the charity sector with more than 20 years of community-based development work. This experience has afforded her a deep understanding of poverty issues in Canada and globally, especially as they relate to health and nutrition. Her diverse roles and responsibilities include fundraising, developing and operationalizing strategy, and strong project management skills, including critical path, risk mitigation strategies, and project budgets. I've seen her in action. We're lucky to have her in studio. Julie, welcome to Braemar. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Uh, we love to give our guests a chance to sort of introduce themselves and let the folks at home get to know you a little bit. I'm very, I, I've, I've seen you in action, as I just said, but I haven't had many chances to sit down and get to know the person. So please t tell us all about yourself and especially how your background has led you to be where you are today. Thanks. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I know we, we just worked together on a, an event, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, but um, backing up a little bit. So yeah, I've... Um, basically been in the community development um, charity sector my entire career. Um, I could back up way back to university. I studied nutrition and um, became a dietitian after university, did the, the schooling or certification for all of that. Uh, my main goal the whole time through that was going overseas and getting experience um, overseas and to do international nutrition. Mm. Um, and so cut me off any time if I'm talking too long on this. But go, go, go. I, uh, so I got myself to Malawi in East Africa and spent a year there working on uh, health and nutrition programs. Um, it was actually a Canadian-funded uh, project. I'm from the U.S. myself, but went over to Malawi on uh, um, a Canadian government-funded um, project. Anyways, the organization I was with was the project I was working on was funded by the Canadian government. So that led me to actually immigrating to Canada and working with World Vision for uh, 14 years doing international development. So I became from a nutritionist, international nutritionist, to more of a generalist in the international development sector mm. and spent a lot of time traveling back and forth to East Africa and then um, Asia, East Asia, all over Asia, basically. There's... A, won't start listing the countries, but I've been to um, many and many of them, um, traveling back and forth, working on uh, World Vision's uh, long-term development programs. Holy smokes! <laughs> so I'm I'm learning this stuff yeah. just like you are, folks. But wow, that's that's incredibly impressive, and what a background for for the work you do now. Yeah, it was it was fun, and it 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 was it was it was a lot of fun, and I learned a ton. And it's in a World Vision's an amazing organization. Mm -hmm. Little plug for them, but. Uh, and basically taught me about development, taught me uh, 
cross-cultural, diverse uh, skills to work with um, everybody and anybody. Um, and that's when I was doing all my global work, that's how I got involved actually in the food bank because my whole world was focused overseas, which was fun and engaging and working on big, huge topics, but I wasn't engaged in my own city. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I met the folks at Fort York Food Bank and um, started getting involved. I was on the board for um, about seven years or so before I took a short break before coming back as the employee. And, um, and, and the, my goal then was basically is to get involved at home. Um, poverty is everywhere, and um, as I was involved overseas, I wanted to be able to link it and be doing something at home as well. It's it's fascinating. We talked to so many people like yourself who've ended up in positions within the Toronto community um, performing incredibly important support roles, and their journeys are never the same. The trajectory mm-hmm. is, is never, well, I knew what I was going to do when I was five, and I just followed the steps all the way there. It's often circuitous. It has detours. It has pitfalls. It has, uh, you know... Th- early triumphs that, that then turned into deep valleys. Um, and and we're, we're, we're so lucky to have people like yourself who've ended up with this wealth of experience in a, a multicultural downtown Toronto setting that's, that yep. desperately needs you. Yeah, it is. It's unique. And it, like I said, yeah, you hit it on spot. I never knew what I wanted to do. I even went to university. I didn't know what I wanted to major in. I found nutrition when I got there mm-hmm. um, and fell in love with it. And, and actually, that's an interesting story there of just taking my first Nutrition 10 course and um, like I said, I grew up in the States, middle income, upper income, you know, suburb. And I took this first Nutrition 10 course and learned for the first time that people are suffering actual diseases because of lack of micronutrients. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have to admit, I was 18 or 19 years old and didn't know that. And so that really opened my eyes to the world and wanted to um, do what I could, um, you know, basically in the, in the nutrition sector. Yeah, we uh, we were lucky to have um, Chef Shay Mandel and mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful woman named uh, Maria Solikovsky on the podcast recently. One is a chef and a, a children's cooking educator, and the other is a, a homestead gardener who runs a lot of um, mentoring programs for us. And both of them hit ex- that point exactly that it's it's shocking mm-hmm. to learn the the negative outcomes in the the world of nutrition that are still being experienced even in the the most developed countries right the the lack of knowledge yep. for not just young people but for everyone about things like micronutrient yep. deficiencies or nutrition yep. ratios et cetera et cetera yep. um, and so I'm not surprised that that first intrigued you and that you dove into mm-hmm. it and then it led to to broader uh, support work in the in the future. Um, mm-hmm. For for anyone listening out there who might want to get a better sense of the type of community development, international development, or domestic, um, and the skill sets, the qualifications, the characteristics that, that go into being successful in that realm, do you have any any advice or any descriptions for them? That's such a great question. I don't feel like I've even made it yet, but... Um, well, let's, I, uh, let, let, me, let me say it then, because I've, I've seen you in action. Then. Sometimes we need people on the outside to tell us that we're doing a really good job. I mean, watching you run the show at Coldest Night of the Year, it, it, it was something to aspire to for me. Like, I, I, I saw a leader there with, uh, you know, hands firmly on the reins. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind, t- tell us uh, about the, the characteristics and the, the talents and qualifications that got you to that position. Uh, yeah, it's such a hard question to talk about yourself. But uh, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, one is is patience, which I don't, my family would tell me I don't have any patience. But... Um, you have to just also just love working with people and love building those friendships and those uh, networks and those um, connections with people and with community. Um, sometimes it's not a very easy job. I work with people all day long, and sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's even dangerous. 
um, but it's being able to navigate that, um, which I guess then is what I'm talking about is resiliency. And mm -hmm. it's, I don't know how I learned resilience, but, and I don't know how someone would, but it is something to learn and to seek out and to be able to get back up and be able to process things and not let it, um, you know, not let it make you quit your, your job or your career or your path or your passions. Um, and again, it, it's, it, it's sort of an aloof sort of characteristic. So I don't even know how to tell someone to get it, but, or how to get it, but then, but it is really important. You need to be able to do proper, I guess, self-care or something, or know how you react in these situations to be able to continue. But even that, like I, last December, I felt like I was drowning and in my position, called up a mentor and he lectured me for 50, 45 minutes. I asked him for 15 minutes of his time. He lectured for me for 45 minutes about the need to take a day off. Mm. And I hadn't even seen it in myself, right? So I knew I was starting to lose my patience with my volunteers, which I don't like. So at least I had enough self-awareness to be like, hey, that's not good. I can't be yelling at people that are volunteering for me. And and I, I, I wasn't taking care of myself properly. December was a really busy month. Mm. Um, so yeah, other than that, um, it's funny because the other advice I got when I was, you know, 22 and wanted to work overseas was basically get overseas experience and learn another language. I never ended up learning another language, though, so I still think it's really good advice. But, uh, yeah, I ended up, you know, it's, I, it wasn't a comfortable position, though, as much traveling as I did not to know anyone else's language. Hmm. I, could, I have phrases in a gazillion languages, but I never everyone had to speak to me in English. So that was difficult. And I wish that I knew another language. So the, the inner, sorry, the interpersonal skills that, that you're referring to across a number of different, um, let's say, vectors are, are necessary, but there's also some danger involved in terms of diving in almost too deep and, and investing so heavily in, in the lives and the troubles of, of those around you that you're unable to kind of see your own operation or your own health state, let, mm -hmm. let's say. Um, and that across the board, it seems like people who have the self-awareness to recognize when they're, I don't want to say drowning, but they're, they're mm -hmm. having trouble swimming. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the ability to turn to a mentor, uh, a companion, a partner, mm -hmm. um, even those who are perhaps, um, working for us or, or, or perhaps are less experienced than us to get that kind of support. When, when I talked mm -hmm. to, um, Dr. Diana Breacher, who's the, uh, she helps to run the student services department at, um, TMU, formerly Ryerson, she's an expert in resilience and she studies, mm. she's been studying resilience for about 20 years. And in, in my talks with her and in the research I've done before and since, resilience seems to be modeled or our, our perception of it um, seems to be modeled on the idea of a web where you are at mm -hmm. the center of a web and the more interconnected you are, the more resilient you are, such that if one node is not available or goes away from you and you take a take a punch or, or you know, you, you experience a challenge, you can still kind of fall mm -hmm. back on that nice bed spring of, of interconnected support systems and you'll bounce back. Yeah. Right? And I, I saw volunteers working with you. I saw employees. We had students working with you at, at Coolest Night of the Year. I've, I've had the pleasure of being at Fort York Food Bank a number of times in a couple of different capacities. And it seems like there's resilience built into to the, the structure of the place, even, even almost physically. Is, has that been uh, on your mind as you've developed your programs there? Yeah, and I, I can't even take credit for that. It's really our, our former manager and our, and our longstanding board who has built that community. Um, and we have, you, you hit it on the spot, is we have an amazing community at Fort York. 
at the food bank. I mean, people have been volunteering there for 20 years, mm. for five years, 10 years. And um, it, we've built a community group there. People consider each other friends, even support networks. And I'm just lucky to be a part of it and hopefully continue on that um, sense of culture. Um, I've been there full time now a year, so I, I guess I can say like, yes, we've, we've continued on that sense of culture that was established and, and the community that we have there. Hmm. Let's, uh, let's dig a little deeper. For, for people who aren't familiar with the Fort York Food Bank, this is a multi-service agency uh, that, again, uh, our students have, have had the pleasure and, and the, the privilege of being able to work with. Um, we've helped to build the garden that's, that's outside a couple summers in a row. We've helped put together food hampers. We, we uh, cleaned up a, a, a basement and found <laughs> quite a few treasures uh, amongst the de debris down there. That was a cool couple weeks. Um, but what exactly is the Fort York Food Bank? What's the, what are the goals there? How do you operate? Uh, yeah, so we are the largest food bank in downtown Toronto. So, as you know, Toronto is a city of, what, 2.9 million? Is that about where we're at right now? Last GTA? I checked, which means maybe higher now. Uh, yeah, so we are uh, the largest operating uh, food bank um, right downtown. And we serve, right now, we are currently serving over 2,500 individuals every week. Um, and so we have a tiny little space, but we make it work. And... We have um, basically, um, one, I'm full-time, one full-time staff and one part-time and one very part-time staff, so less than two wow. FTE equivalents. No <laughs> yeah, and then about 200 volunteers um, running the food bank every week. Um, we are open seven days a week. We do a grocery service, so you, anyone who needs groceries can come and get free groceries Tuesday to Saturday. Um, Sundays we do a hot takeaway meal. Mondays we do a delivery program to 180 seniors in a Toronto community housing building who, um, with culturally appropriate food and who many of the seniors are not mobile and could not go out and get their own groceries. Um, and then we do hot takeaway meal. We've started just recently a, bre a breakfast meal on Tuesday mornings and then additionally we do lunches on Friday and Saturday. So it's it's hopping. It's yeah. very very busy as you've witnessed there, and the you know just the about I love that yeah you guys cleaned the basement. Thank you. It needs to be cleaned again. Actually, Thanks. someone was just down there like whoa, and I was like, well, it was it was cleaned recently, and I guess that was maybe two years ago yeah, recently. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a busy place. Absolutely incredible. Twenty five hundred plus served weekly. Yes, fortunately, unfortunately, um, those numbers have gone up month by month since last um, April. So basically, month, a year now of month over month increasing numbers um, of people that we've served. It's tripled since this time in 2019, doubled from this time last year. What happened between 2019 and 2022 that could have caused that? Well, it's actually, it's inflation. Okay. Um, so Sorry, one I, COVID, I yeah, yeah, no, I, I know where you're there, going, yeah. is uh, it, COVID, definitely, um, and inflation, just as, um, I mean, I know you're, all your listeners aren't in Toronto, but in Toronto, our grocery prices have increased um, dramatically. You and I see it at the grocery store. Every every week, my jaw drops at the grocery store. I picked up a box of cereal that used to be three thirty nine. It was four thirty nine. Mm -hmm. a dollar increase in one week. And it's just, you know, and you can't, you can't make ends meet. I might be going into more of your questions, but if you are on social assistance, if you're on OW, we call it Ontario Works or ODSP for Disability, 
you as a single person or two people you literally you can't make ends meet in this city our rent is so high housing is unaffordable and it's it's hard so mm -hmm. we bridge the gap um, clients can come at once a week to the food bank um, and, but we don't and we only supply a three to four day supply of food it's not even a week's worth of food so this is a stopgap it's something uh, it's necessary people I don't know what people would do without us honestly yeah I don't either um, but it's not even a full week's worth of food and we are thankful for for other groups um, I think especially of Scott mission so yeah. so close to you and, and doing yeah. incredible work themselves yeah. um, but you're right I uh, I want I have this this question often how exactly are people surviving amidst these rising costs amidst this housing crisis amidst covid um, amidst winter it's hard uh, yeah yeah it's hard um, but it would be a lot harder without people like yourself yeah. um, I'm, I, I my, my route to, to the building every day takes me right past um, for your food bank and I regularly see the line stretching hundreds of meters out um, east on College Street yeah um, for, the, for those who aren't familiar with the, the downtown Toronto community, um, we've just touched on some of the, the major challenges that they're facing, but, but who are these people? What, uh, what makes the downtown Toronto community so um, unique? The food bank community or Toronto in general? Let's say both. Um, both. I mean, Toronto in general, we're, we're a diverse community. Um, I think there used to be a, it might be a myth or an urban legend that we're the most diverse city in the world, yeah, but sure. um, <laughs> I feel like they dispelled that at some point. But anyways, it's, we like to pride ourselves on that as, you know, so it's, we are very, very diverse um, and lots of newcomers to Canada. Um, and so similarly at the food bank, um, I can talk better about like our, who we see at the food bank is it's everyone. Mm -hmm. It's literally everyone. It's students, it's the elderly, it's, um, lots of newcomers, um, the old, the young, it's literally everybody. Um, and sometimes it shocks me sometimes. And now I, I guess in a way it doesn't anymore. Um, I've had people come to the food bank for their first time and say, you know, okay, where are you from? And then they'll say they just arrived in Canada two days ago. I was like, how did you find us? Like, yeah. did someone at Pearson airport tell you about us? Like, where is this? And, uh, but Google literally like People are finding us on Google, food bank near me, food bank in Toronto. And so I'm grateful they are. Um, we've done something right on our website without trying. But uh, yeah, literally people, food's your first basic need, yeah. right? So you get to Toronto and you don't you don't have anything yet, right? Yeah. And so they can come to us and at least get some groceries to get started. And I know even more than that, you're also working to provide culturally appropriate food, which yes. must, for, for a newcomer, just be what a relieving feeling they must experience when they first see not just food that's available to them, but food that represents their culture. Hopefully that is our goal. It's our mission, um, especially like halal meat. Mm -hmm. um, we try and say that we always have that available. It's, it's difficult. Sometimes we don't. Um, but yeah, cause that you, you touched on a good point. It's hard people. I've, I've been, you know, watch people go through and they're looking at, they don't even know what this product is. Yeah. It's got to feel so like, I mean, I've traveled, right? So I actually love going into grocery stores when I travel and see the differences, but so that's difficult and it must be very unsettling to, um, it, it's as much as it's food, it's not food you recognize. Yeah. Um, but we do, that said, we do try and do like, um, we have meat always available. We have fresh produce always available. So even if you don't recognize some of the package items that we might have here in Canada, we have uh, fresh produce and rice and pasta. So Awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we, we run the, the cooking club once a week here and, and we've got maybe 
40 students who participate each week and I've seen that look on their faces when the, the whatever mm-hmm. it is that we're cooking comes out in front of them and they've never seen it or yeah. my conversation with the young guy last week about um, why we weren't putting chicken in our jollof rice and uh, mm-hmm. and he said how can you suffer in this way <laughs> I'm like you want to talk about suffering let's let's talk about the chickens but um, yeah it always always interesting and, and always kind of a wake-up call to realize how important um, how important it is for people who've just arrived here, people who still hold their home cultures so close to their identities, yeah. um, to see them represented, even in small ways, whether it's you know recognizable language or, or um, you know popular culture or food, and how unsettling it can be when you don't when mm-hmm. you don't experience that. Um, the reason I had you on uh, originally, the reason I thought of, uh, of inviting you here, not just because you're, you're brilliant and wonderful and, and I've seen you in action, but we just completed um, a pretty cool project. Um, and, and Braemar students played their, their small role um, and you, you, you played the, the, the much bigger one, Coldest Night of the Year. Um, I'll, I'll just give a very, very short summary to my knowledge and then maybe you can help me fill in all the details. A, uh, a nationwide initiative um, dedicated for raising money in recognition of the fact that we have people who are uh, vulnerable and houseless regularly on the streets in the midst of, no, nobody's surprised to hear, some pretty nasty conditions. Canada has some, some pretty tough winters. Mm-hmm. Um, regularly pushing negative 20 degrees. Um, it's, it's dangerous and, and inhospitable, and um, supporting these people is, is I mean, one of the, the most fundamental things we can do to raise up our community. Uh, for York Food Bank itself was able to raise more than a hundred thousand dollars, and last I checked, the national number was something like twelve and a half million. Twelve and a half million. I mean, Canadians are generous. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness for that. Um, It was a lot of fun. There were a lot of people. It was a vibrant night. Can you just tell us about uh, what it was like producing this event, and and how did it go for you? Yeah, thank you. First off, I have to really thank you, you and your students. You're critical to the night's success. Uh, it was a very big event for a small agency uh, to put on, and we are extremely grateful to mm-hmm. your leadership and your students who came out and braved the cold um, for the food bank. Uh, so basically, yeah, so you hit it. It's a, it's a national event where smaller agencies like ourselves um, who are working in the sector um, for those experiencing hurt, hunger, and homelessness um, to it's a fundraising event to raise money, raise awareness and raise money for these agencies. So we've, this was our second year of participating. You've participated twice with us, both years with your students. And um, yeah, we, last year, our goal was to raise $30,000. We raised 68,000. So this year we set a huge goal to raise a hundred thousand and we're at $104,000 right now. So I got to tell you, and, and I, I hope you, you take this in the, in the right way. When I saw the goal for this year compared with last year's, I kind of went, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, Lots I, yeah. of people did. And they're only telling me now, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the, that's the purpose of a goal, right? It, it was motivational. And, yeah. and I, I don't know that we would have gotten there if that wasn't that your vision for it. Yeah, well, I can't take all the credit. I actually first thought, really? But I was like, okay, mm. let's do it. And I had another board member who was, uh, David was basically like, oh, we can do it. Let's do it. Um, and it was inspirational. It was, it was, a, it w- and that's what a goal should be, right? Mm. So it, it was inspirational. And honestly, though, our community is absolutely fabulous. Our local community, the community of Toronto, just really has our back. They're, they are there to support us. And in any capacity really so either by volunteering or by donating and i am feeling extremely grateful for our community right now 
it makes me proud. I mean, I, I, I try to convey this to our students as often as possible and to prospective parents. Like, this is, uh, we, we are not a simple community. Not everything mm-hmm. is going perfectly here, but the, there's, there is, is real life and real capital C community. There's resilience and, and empathy to be found here. Um, and we see examples of it every day. Mm-hmm. Very lucky. Um, can you just... Forgot to say what the event was. Yeah, I was going to say. Please, <laughs> please go into more so detail. It's a, basically, it's a 5K or a 2K or a 5K walk um, from the food bank, um, basically putting ourselves out there to experience the cold um, in Canada. It's, it's a minor example of what those living on the streets or experiencing hunger um, experience, but it's a physical way to put yourself out there. So basically, yeah, so it's a, people are raising money to uh, walk for the food bank so we all gather together on one night and it's across canada at the same time on the same night um, that we all gather and um, so this year we had almost 300 walkers mm-hmm. um, from our building which was a very small building i, I was, I was <laughs> that was my most stressful part i was like how are we going to fit 300 people in here uh, but it worked it, it worked we um we made it work we then um had a great mc who's one of our volunteers a newcomer to canada he was amazing we had all three levels of government represented to come and kick off the night, and a great DJ. It was a, it ended up being a really fun night, um, and went and walked 5K. Where you guys came in, shout out again to you, is uh, the students basically were the route marshals all along the route on that 5K and 2K route, so they really took one for the team, standing out in the cold um, for hours to make sure people went the right way on the route. So. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and we came back to the food bank and had a meal together. There was chili and uh, cornbread and cookies, all donated by volunteer chefs and volunteer yeah. um, uh, businesses. And um, yeah, it was a it was a very successful night, and I'm very grateful for everyone's help. I, I was going to say it seemed like like I was in the midst of it, and I was just mm-hmm. kind of going around trying to to check on everybody on the route mm-hmm. for those hours. It seemed like it went so smoothly. It seemed like it went all to plan, and I was hoping to, to get you in studio and have that confirmed. It did. Yeah. Uh, luckily, thankfully, yeah. and I had a great leadership team that put this on together. Mm-hmm. I think there was six of us or eight of us on the team that pulled this event off. Again, all volunteers, except for myself and then the one woman who worked 16 hours a week and helped me plan this event. Um, and uh, yeah, so great leadership team. Um, everyone was um, in it 100%. And it's a really fun, I, I love this event. It's yeah. fun. It's, it's, it's fairly easy to plan because of also the support of being a national event too. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's a great idea. It's a really intuitive idea, mm-hmm. right? Like how, how do you generate empathy better than by putting yourself or others in the exact position uh, of, of those you're trying to help, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, we, we had to kind of catch ourselves, myself and, and my students. There, there was that sneaking sense in the midst of it of like, Oh well, it's it's so cold out, right? Like it's I'm I'm I, I, my shoes are wet, right? And, yeah. and we we were lucky to have um, a representative from Covenant House come and talk to us about youth homelessness mm. a couple months ago, and just kind of walk through the steps of like this is not a, a series of catastrophic decisions that that were made by a person. This is something that has happened to them, and you mm-hmm. could, and they kind of giving several examples so that our students could appreciate, oh, this could happen to to anyone. This could happen yeah. to me. Um, and so talking to the students as I made my stops along the way and said, how are you doing? Right. And it wasn't always, we're doing great. We're super, no, super happy out here. Right? It's, it's, it's and... cold and wet and dark. And they loved it when the, the groups went past and we obviously had them hand warmers and foot warmers and we were taking yeah. enough care of them that we knew that they were safe. But it was important to remind them like, hey, yeah, that's that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was I was pleased that especially people who may come from countries or climates that 
don't have this as a, as, as a challenge that faces them. They have other challenges for sure, yeah. but um, negative 20 degrees is not one of them. Yeah. Um, it's cool for, for, for them to be able to see uh, what these people face and be able to generate empathy in that way. And so I thank you very, very much for, for doing this for our community, but especially for allowing our students to be a part of it. Oh, and, and thank you. Hopefully you'll come back next year. Sure will. Yeah, we're committed <laughs> no one to was it. Cold, too cold that they're not going to come back <laughs> or tell the future students. Yeah, we just, that. exactly. <laughs> we won't tell them. Um, and if you need help with that basement, you know where to call. Um, goals for the future. What's next for Fort York Food Bank? Um, so we've been around for 25 years. Mm. Fortunately, unfortunately, I always say, and honestly, I think we'll be here another 25. Um, we wish we weren't. We should be working ourselves out of a job. Um, but at the rate things are going um, in our city or province country, I think we will be. Um, so our, our mission is and vision is to reconnect people with their community. So we are, it, we kind of lost some of that during COVID where we had to just hand groceries out the front door. We couldn't have the number of volunteers inside. We couldn't have the clients inside. So we lost a lot of that community aspect um, that we value so much so that's top on our priority right now to really get back to our vision statement of reconnecting people with our community um so much more than just food um so we are really trying to so everyone every client that comes in has to check in before they get their food um so we're basically under a database system um to so we know who's coming we know our numbers that's how i know we have 2500 a week um but that's an opportunity to help someone um, looking through like, oh, did you know you ha you can get this benefit or that benefit or do you need help with this or that? Housing, legal, taxes. Um, there's so many other issues people that are living in poverty are facing. Mm -hmm. uh, food is just one of them and may bring them to us first, but we want to make sure they're connected with their community. Um, and so that's where we've recently hired um, my colleague Melissa, who's working 16 hours a week, to really build up, we call it our advocacy program, to really build that up. Um, so that's that's our current one of our current goals really right now for the near future is to um, build that up a little bit more and make sure we're doing all we can for our clients. Wonderful. Um, for the young people out there who may see you and see the work that you do and say to themselves, I can see challenges in my own home community. I grew up around people who need this kind of help. Um, it can, there can be a feeling of helplessness that that maybe we as adults play a role in instilling in, in teenagers this this idea that oh you can get serious about the world a couple of years from now mm -hmm. but my experience with them is that they're ready to help now um, and our responsibility should be to be conduits for that mm -hmm. do you, can you think of ways or, or do you per, perhaps have you seen examples of ways in which a young person a 15 16 year old may be able to play an influential role in the support of their own communities yeah, I, I see it all the time. I see the challenges with it, and I see it all the time when it goes well, too. It's um, get involved. Don't let anyone tell you not to, mm. right? Just do it. Grab a friend. If you see a need, do it. Talk to a leader in your community. Talk to a teacher. Talk to someone with your ideas, and keep pushing, and don't let anyone tell you no. Um, from small things to big things, even you know small, quote-unquote, I might call small like a lemonade stand, but that's not. You can raise money. So it's I'm in awe of those kids that just keep going and and, dispe and it, despite maybe adults in their life saying no you can't or in a few years or something. Um, that said, I would like to do more at Fort York is to get more students involved. I struggle. My current struggle is our hours. We we're only most days except for Saturday and now Friday, which is very recent. 
were closed during the student hours. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to figure out how we can be a better partner with these students um, to get them more involved um, after hours somehow without me working 12 hour days. So working on that, but I do have, but I, that said, I have students that have come on their PA days, have come during the summer and you know, it's like keep emailing. A lot of these organiza- organizations are run by very few staff like us. So if you don't hear from me, email me again. Keep being persistent because a lot, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not alone in that. I know other small organizations and volunteers have told me like they never heard back from an organization that they emailed and wanted to volunteer. And it's honestly, I think it's not that you weren't wanted, it's just they don't have time to mm-hmm. even respond to some of those emails. So be persistent stop in, whatever. I mean, because some of my high school students are the best volunteers. And I've got one woman, now she's off on an um, internship in France right now. And But I can't wait for her to come back in this summer. So it's like, you know, you, you can. there's ways to stand out and there's ways to get involved. And um, ask questions, get to know people, and uh, yeah, just don't take no for an answer. Yeah. Um, I, I think there, there's a sense with a lot of, um, let's say, organizations that when you're on the outside looking in, it looks like there's going to be a full process of integrating and I'm going to have to go through an interview process. I'm going to have to send an application. I'm going to have to meet three or four different people before I figure out how I can begin contributing. And then so often you show up and you're in, right? Yeah. There's a role for you and suddenly you're meeting clients and, and putting faces to names and, and suddenly you're on hand when someone needs something done. And from the outside looking in, you're indistinguishable from the operation of that organization. Yeah. I remember I, I thought it was a really cool idea. My dad had done it in the past. I wanted to help out with the Special Olympics when I was um, in high school. And I looked at it, and it seemed like this like very yeah, complex, would, yeah. big organization. And, and it, it is in some ways. And that, that idea kept me from really reaching out to Special Olympics or thinking that this was a possibility. Until I found out that there was a Special Olympic practice at the um, primary school gym in my neighborhood, and I literally just showed up, right? Like, and they yeah. were like, oh, you, you have basketball experience? Great. We, the more the merrier. We, we can yeah. use all the help we can get. Awesome. And good I was, for you. I was in, right? And I don't know how, yeah. how good it was for me. It was more accidental or spontaneous than anything else. But, but you showed up. You showed yeah. up. Well, and, and I hope that that message gets across that, like, you know, maybe I did send an email to Fort York Food Bank once or twice and, and didn't get one back. But I met uh, May Tagnathasa mm-hmm. one time and I had my contact and all of a sudden there was stuff for us to do. And now now you're yeah. in studio with me and, yeah. and we've done Coldest Night of the Year twice and things are happening, right? For, yeah. for our students, we're connected. Yeah. It's, it's a strange thing how connection happens, but um, I don't think it's nearly as, there aren't as many barriers to it as I think sometimes are perceived. You're right. You're right. And then... Uh, on the flip side, there's probably 100 people that haven't heard back from me <laughs> as well. So again, it's just that being persistent and then and patient with the leaders that are there because it's, like I said, like I can't necessarily keep up with all the emails or that. But yeah, eventually, and be, like, because you were patient away. You probably did email. We didn't have the good systems in the past necessarily. But then when you finally met May and got connected and, he, and here we are. So it's being persistent. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, for the folks who want to know more, may want to get involved, may want to be persistent and, and, and join in. Um, where can uh, people nearby find out more about you, find out more about the Fort York Food Bank, and maybe even some of your, I know you're involved in um, community support initiatives outside of Fort York Food Bank as well. How do we find out more? Uh, yeah, for the food bank, visit us at www.fyfb.com. Sorry, say that again. Visit us at fyfb.com. Um, pretty much everything should be on the website. Our email, you can reach me, is at info, I-N-F-O, at fyfb.com. 
Um, I'll, I get all those emails. So um, we ha- we do have a waiting list for volunteers. Don't all come flooding in right now. <laughs> uh, but but reach out if you're interested in coming in. Reach out. Uh, go through the website, and I'll send you another Google form as our process. And then from there, we see when we have an opening, we invite people in because uh, there's a lot of turnover. So mm-hmm. you will hear from us eventually, hopefully. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the best way. Cool. Good to know. Well, for, from myself, from the students of Braemar, from the people in our community who rely on you for their, for their daily well-being, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for your message and, and for your ongoing efforts. They really, they mean the world. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Sure. It's been the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. Uh, thrilled to, to have another great guest like Julie on, and we're going to keep the good conversations going in the future. Tune in again next week. We'll see you then. Be sure to join me next week, where I'll be speaking with one of my favorite people on the planet, Dr. Dina Kara Schaefer. Uh, Dr. Schaefer is the Director of Student Services at York University, uh, an expert when it comes to engagement with nature and the implications for learning and retention on students and all things learning strategy. It is an episode not to be missed, so don't.